But I don't know if this has ever happened to you when you walk into a room in your house or even at work, and then um, you get there, and then you stand there for a second, and you go, why am I here? And your reason for going to the room has been completely lost from memory completely. Um, This happens to me regularly. Another one of my personal highlights is when you go to the mall and you park your car. And then you're walking back to your car and then you can't find it right away and it doesn't seem to be where you left it. And then you go, well, that's it. My car's obviously been stolen. And then you freak out temporarily because you're sure that your car is being stripped and it's on blocks in some chop shop. Or how many times in the last two years have you been walking confidently into a store and then you went, nope, I've got to go get my mask from the car. And you can actually see that. I don't know if you ever saw someone doing that. They're walking and then they go, and then back to the car. Yeah, all the time. But have you ever found yourself maybe a little bit forgetful in life? For me, I have my phone loaded up with so many reminders of things, emails I need to send. It's dinging multiple times a day to remind me of things that I shouldn't be forgetting. I use sticky notes. I have lists because I find that I just don't remember things that well. And for me in particular, the worst of it is um, dates and ages. Some of my family's here, and I can take guesses at relative ages, and I know most of their birth dates. But if you're here and you're incredibly hurt because you didn't receive a birthday greeting from me, I'm so very sorry. Um, that you felt just deep pain from that. But now it's one thing to forget about things that don't matter. Okay, I forgot my mask. We'll make it through. We can get through that. But it's another thing to forget about stuff that actually really matters and is of great value. So I don't know if if you're here and you forget things, but you can be encouraged that as you read through the Bible, you'll find that people all through were forgetful. Paul, the apostle, starts 1 Corinthians 15.1 with the line, Let me now remind you, So before we get too far ahead, um, do you guys remember last weekend? Anybody? Um, We were celebrating something last weekend. What was it? Yeah, it was Easter, right? So it seems pretty important, but when I even asked, do you guys remember last weekend? People were like, yeah, kind of. It's a bit, I think I went out for lunch, um, But why was it so important? We have extra flowers, extra things that we added, but 
But why was it so, so important? So 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read verses 1 to 4 here. Paul starts it by saying, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been also passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So I'm here one week after Easter to remind you of the good news of Jesus. That he died for our sins, was buried, and three days later, he rose again. Now, this is the gospel that, as Christians, we believe in. This isn't a truth. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's the truth, and it's the core of what we believe. And it's not a fairy tale. It's not just something that somebody wrote about in a book, and it's not allegorical. It's just not a metaphor for something else. Jesus died for our sins and was raised back to life. You can read the next five verses in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul actually goes through. Here's people that saw him face to face. Here's what happened. He documents those encounters. And you might be going, well, yeah, I know. We just actually heard about this last week. But I'm reminding you about it again this week because our entire faith hinges on the resurrection. It's not something that we can easily forget about. So Paul explains this to us. It's a lengthier chunk, but stick with me through it. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection from the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied or, than anyone in the world. So Paul outlines very quickly in this section what happens if there was no resurrection. 
if Easter didn't happen, if Jesus didn't come back. And he outlines a few things. There was no resurrection. All preaching, this message included, is utterly useless. If there was no resurrection, it means that Paul, the apostles, Pastor Bill, myself, and anyone that's ever preached about Jesus is a total and complete liar. And it, in fact, means that Jesus himself was a liar. There's no resurrection. Paul says our faith in God is useless. So we know from the word that faith comes by hearing but if, you're, if what you're hearing isn't true, then why would you put your faith in a lie? If there's no resurrection, we're all still guilty of our sins. If Jesus was not resurrected, then he was not who he said he was, and we can't re- receive actually forgiveness of sins through him at all. If there was no resurrection... Me and you and people that have passed away throughout history are still lost. There was no promise of anything beyond this earthly life. And finally, Paul writes this very interesting line in verse 19. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. Isn't that an interesting thing for him to say? If our faith is only for this life, we're to be more pitied than anyone. Now, the reality is that when Paul wrote this, Christians would be persecuted for being a Christian. Oftentimes, it would have meant that they would have to leave their family. They would be excommunicated from community. They would be turned away and shunned and often would end up living in poverty. So Paul's saying to them, listen, if, if this resurrection, if life beyond this life, if that's not where you're, what you're putting your faith in, why go through what you're going through? Why suffer? You should be more pitied than anyone. But for us living here, I don't know if if we experience that same level of cost in our daily walk with Jesus. I don't know if, if, if by choosing to follow Jesus, any of us have found ourselves in poverty as a result, excommunicated from family. So what Paul is saying here is that everything about our faith hinges on the resurrection. And Paul's reminding them of something that they should not forget. So listen, before we keep going, um, do you believe in the resurrection? You personally, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus actually came, died for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave? Now, I'm not, this isn't a trick question. This is what our faith hinges on. Is this what we believe? Is this what you, you actually believe? 
Is this what you put your faith in? So this belief is actually called faith, and you find it all through people that you read about in Scripture. In the Old Testament, you read about a guy named Abraham who was called the father of the faith, the father of our faith. And he was proved right with God because thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth, he believed that God could bring the dead back to life. Romans 4.17 says that Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. So Abraham was made right with God through faith because he believed in the resurrection. In in the New Testament, in John chapter 11, you read the account of Lazarus being raised from the grave. And, And we read in verse 23 an exchange that Jesus has with Martha, Lazarus' sister. And it goes like this. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. So this is before she saw her brother raised, before Jesus was raised. People put their faith in a God that would bring the dead back to life. Abraham had faith. Martha had faith. And we're called to put our faith in the same thing. So I made the decision to believe in this same message, this same good news when I was a boy. We were at Sunnyside Camp, and I was in the kids' service, and somebody preached the gospel. And uh, I think I was seven years old, and I responded to that message. Something in me knew that this was true, and I chose that day to put my faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. You can choose to put your faith in Jesus, and maybe you've had a similar experience yourself. So listen, we're one week after Easter. Do you still believe the good news about Easter? And I'm harping a little bit on this because it's easy to say that we do, but it can be a challenge where sometimes we go, well, I don't know, I guess, yeah, it's what I say I believe. But is it something that's rooted in the core of you? Is, has that faith taken hold of you, said this is the truth, this is the good news of the gospel? And I want to challenge you to remind yourself of it daily. Reread the story. Remember this good news. So listen, what I really love about this chapter in, in 1 Corinthians is that Paul doesn't just leave us with a reminder of what happens because of the uh, resurrection, but he also 
reminds us of an additional two things that we shouldn't forget about. First is this. We don't live as though Jesus is dead. He is alive. We don't live as though Jesus is dead. He is alive. So in 1989, there was a movie released called Weekend at Bernie's. Does anyone remember Weekend at Bernie's? Now, if you're here and you remember that movie, it means that you're of an older vintage. And I brought it up. And if you're younger and you don't remember it, they're probably just going to do a remake because they're not making any new movies anyways. They just keep remaking old ones. So you'll know what I'm talking about in a few years when it comes back around. So for the record, I'm not endorsing the movie. I'm not telling you to go watch the movie. But the premise of it was that there was two employees who get invited to their boss's beach house for a weekend. And the boss dies and they have to pretend that he's alive for a whole weekend. So you can only imagine the hijinks that they get into. Again, I'm not endorsing it. I haven't seen it. It probably has sketchy content in it or bad jokes or something. So if you watch it, don't think less of me (laughs) because I mentioned it today. I actually don't even remember if it was a good movie. But what I do know is that we can have a tendency to live out our faith in a Jesus that we say is alive, but it's almost like we're doing stuff to make it seem like that's what we believe. Pretending that Jesus is alive while not really believing that he is. So we can't profess with our mouths that Jesus is alive, but deny him in the way that we're living. So in this same chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul outlines two ways our lives today should reflect his resurrection. In verses 30 to 33, he describes how easy it is to just stop fighting and to give up. It's easy to find ourselves consumed with just the pleasure of life, or we can almost end up apathetic. And and he wrote the words where people could approach life saying, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's a fatalistic approach of just going, well, what's the point? We'll just kind of enjoy what we can while we're here and just get through. And there's no regard for your actions. There's no regard for what's coming up next. Then he writes this line in verse 34. He says, think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. What a fascinating command to write. Stop sinning. In light of the resurrection of Jesus, stop sinning. How we live should be a reflection of the resurrection. And if we've got kind of a playful attitude with sin where, oh, it's okay, doesn't really matter that much, if there's no fight in us, 
to follow the commands that Jesus gave, that God laid out for us, we end up living in a spot where we can say what we want with our mouths, but if we look at our lives, they'll tell a different story. Stop sinning. It's one of these commands. It's, he's not really mincing words. It's literally stop sinning. Then in verse 58, Paul encourages us with this. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So he starts with this contrast of saying, if this is what you believe, don't live with sin. Don't tolerate sin in your life. And then he adds this other element of everything that you do for God. God's keeping a record of. There's nothing that you do that's useless, that's wasted effort. That means that every co-worker that you show grace to or mercy to or kindness to, God's keeping track of that. Every relationship that's broken that you work really hard to restore, God's keeping track. Every time we have people serving in Club J, you didn't even see them today. They're working down there serving our kids. He keeps record of all of it. And nothing that you do to build the kingdom is useless. And if this message, this good news of Jesus is what we believe, then we should be working towards spreading that good news to other people. If you just have the best, best financial plan and could help a ton of other people get out of debt and you choose to keep it to yourself, you're hoarding something that could be incredibly valuable to other people. And that's what we can do when we don't actually live as though Jesus were alive. We deny him with the way that we live. So don't live as though Jesus is dead. He is alive. The second thing that Paul reminds us of in this chapter is this. We don't die as though Jesus is dead. He's alive. So on May 3rd, 2020, my dad passed away. So it's coming up on two years of life without my dad on earth. Now, sharing this story might seem heavy, definitely. And do I miss him? Yeah, every single day I miss him. But can I tell you why I'm not hopeless in the middle of what could be considered a hopeless situation? It's because Jesus died and rose again, that death is not the end of the story. So when I think about my dad, I miss him here, but I know that that's not the end of the story and that I'll see him again. So listen, no matter what you might be facing or what kind of sorrow you carry in your heart, your hope is not found on earth alone. 
We can get so caught up in all of the details of daily life and we forget that this isn't all that it's about. We can have such a temporal focus that we forgot that we're actually eternal beings because of Christ. He brings us back to life. Now we're going to go through a few verses because we don't talk about eternity a whole lot. We don't talk about heaven. But I want to go through a few verses this morning because if we lose this, we lose such a huge part of what the resurrection actually means. So 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. It says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So we, we know Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve... The serpent tempts them, and through that moment, sin came into the world. But there's, there's that one Christmas carol where it says, Second Adam, and people are like, well, I don't know what this lyric means. This is what it means. This is what it's referring to. Sin came into the world through one man. Redemption comes into the world through one man. Where Adam caused death to enter, Jesus causes life to enter. So we keep going. 1 Corinthians 15, 43 to 43, uh, 44. Now listen to this imagery. I came across this verse when I was prepping for this, and I thought, well, I don't know if I've ever read this verse before, which is one of the treats in reading the Bible, is when you find something, you're like, have I, have I read this? It's like for me, if there's ever a hidden episode of Seinfeld that I hadn't seen, and all of a sudden I'd be like, this is the best day. There's an episode I didn't see. I feel more strongly about this verse. So listen to this. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Now this body is broke. It's weak. It suffers. We deal with sickness. And it can be crushing when you're dealing with sickness. But our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. This isn't it. No matter what I'm going through, this isn't the end of the story. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. For it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. It'll happen in a moment. We'll hear the trumpet. Those who have been laid in the ground will be 
resurrected back to life. And us, if we're still walking the earth, will be transformed into a new body. We're not talking about, like the, Paul didn't talk about the resurrection and harp on it and then throw some other stuff in here that just sounded nice. If, if we believe that Jesus is resurrected, then that means that what we're talking about right here is true. This isn't a made-up thing. I didn't write these verses. This is from the Scripture. And then verses 54 and 56. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And I've come in recent years to have an incredible, hateful wrath for death and sickness. And what I love is that this scripture reminds me that there's a day when we will get to stomp death into oblivion. And it will be gone. The, the searing pain that can happen, that sting of loss, that will come to an end. That is to say, the death, I'm coming for you. Amen. And you will feel my wrath. So listen, did you get the picture here? Death isn't the end of the story. And when we talk about the cross, when we talk about Easter, when we talk about the resurrection, there's a responsibility for how we live today on earth. We can't live as though Jesus is, is dead, as though his life is irrelevant, as though he's not alive. But nor do we want to go through every day on earth feeling like, is this it? Is this just the regular toil? When we have to keep the perspective that there's a hope far beyond what we can see. And that's a hope that you can put your faith in and trust in. He will turn things. Our hope can only be focused on the temporal. I love how Paul worded that. On that day, this scripture will be fulfilled. We live in this tough time of somewhere in between, and it's a struggle. But when we keep our focus on a resurrected Jesus, it helps bring things back in to perspective for us. Victoria, if you could just come to the keys. Just two things I'd like to do this morning. You might be here and you've never actually chosen to put your faith in this resurrected Jesus. You might be here and I've been talking about this and something stirred on the inside of you. And I want to give you opportunity to respond in just a moment to say, yeah, I need forgiveness. I need everything that the cross meant. I lost hope. I've given up, and I need hope again. 
And the other thing I wanna, I, I, that I want to do this morning is that I want to take a moment and we're going to pray for that hope. If you feel like you've lost hope, you've got too stuck in everything that's happening, we're going to pray that Jesus brings hope that isn't just stuck in this temporal world, but he brings that touch of eternity to your life that can shift how you see things, can give you faith for a better tomorrow here and in eternity to come. So listen, is there anyone here you've never chosen to give your life to Jesus? You've never chosen to follow Jesus. And and this morning you're going, I I, want to do that. I want to make that decision to follow Jesus. And if that's you, why don't you just wave at me? We want to take time. Yeah, go ahead and wave at me if that's you. Thank you, sir. So in a moment, we're going to pray. And maybe you're here and uh, you feel like you've lost some hope along the way. In a moment, we're going to stand and I'll invite you to come up to the front and we're just going to have people stand with you and pray with you. I've just come to remind you of a few things that we don't want to forget. But now I'm going to invite you to take a step where it moves from hearing what I've said to going, actually, I need hope. And and stepping out and responding to what we've just read in Scripture this morning. So why don't we all stand, and I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to take a moment to respond. So God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the good news that through your sacrifice, we're forgiven of our sins. And God, we thank you that you're not dead, but you're alive, that you're resurrected. And Father, we thank you for everything that that reality means for us this morning. And Father, for folks that are here that are making that decision to come back or to to follow you, to give their life to Jesus. Father, we thank you and we celebrate that. And Father, right now for people that find themselves in a spot where they've they've lost some hope along the way. God, we know that that feeling isn't distant from you. We know that you felt that on the cross when you felt like your own father turned away from you. So God, we thank you that you're not far from us in spots where it feels hopeless. And Father, we pray that you'd come this morning and that you'd restore hope to your people in Jesus' name.